We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Well, good morning. Today is March 14th, and we have another great program today. My name is Scott Shera. I'm Grace's dad. And one of the reasons God allowed Grace's premature death was to save others and wake others up. I was not awake, as you know, before her death and now have become a full-time advocate as a result. Uh, the name of this program is Deprogramming with Grace's Dad because the single most shocking thing I learned about myself was how programmed I was and still am. And the deprogramming is going to take the rest of my life. For those of you who have been following, I always introduce something special about Grace. Today, my guest is the closest to looking like Elvis that I've had on so far. So here we go. I'm going to have Don bring in consecutive pictures of Grace, five different ones. So this is Grace dressed up as Elvis. So that's one of my favorites. She was in a play where she got that part. This is Grace with somebody very special. This is Priscilla Presley, Elvis's Elvis's wife. So Priscilla called Grace after Grace wrote a fan letter to her care of Graceland and invited us to Graceland to meet with her. So we made the trip down and uh, Grace got to, to spend about 45 minutes one-on-one -on -one with Priscilla. All right, next one, Don. So this is one of many. We went to a lot of, once Grace really got into the Elvis uh, fan business, we went to a number of of uh, entertainment artist programs and some of them had multi. So this was one with uh, young and old Elvis. The next one is another one. So two more Elvi kissing Grace. And there's one last one yet. Okay, yeah, this was Graceland. This is the first time we went to Graceland. We went to Graceland twice. This is the first time. And she got to meet the youngest Elvis impersonator and that's her with, with him, so. Anyway, you're um, going to probably wonder, who is this guy that looks like Elvis? So uh, can you bring Sean in, Don? Hi, Sean. <laughs> so <laughs> did you think that you would look like Elvis before that or no? I'm trying to look. I'm trying to see the resemblance. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe you're I the see. closest one. I mean, I'd really like to try to relate. To, to somebody that I'm bringing on if I can. And I know it's a stretch, but uh, you kind of got to bear with me, especially because I'm the host. So, <laughs> uh, so Sean Stone is my guest. I first got to see Sean, believe it or not, when he was a lot younger. Uh, so he was the child actor in the JFK movie in 1991 that was written by his father, Oliver Stone. So Don, can you bring up that picture wow. yeah so so this is sean with kevin coster so a pretty neat picture great picture i think i'm going to i'm going to that picture i'm not sure say that again don or uh, sean my, my mother may have taken that photo in fact she oh a, wow a lot of the photography on the sets so I oh, that's pretty neat if that was hers or not but it's a good shot I found all kinds of stuff online of pictures. Uh, so it was, it was hard to pick, but that one uh, struck a nerve with me because that the JFK documentary, um, 
is significant to me for a lot of reasons. One I can't talk about now, but I will eventually be talking about as, as Grace's story proceeds. So, you know, it's no surprise that uh, Sean would grow up exposing conspiracies. And I'm going to read a few things about Sean right now so people have a perspective of how involved he is. Of course, Sean grew up in the film world, having acted since childhood in Oliver's before beginning his own filmmaking career by apprenticing under his father on Alexander, shooting the behind the scenes documentaries. On W, he served as the editorial consultant and on the untold history of the United States as the associate editor. Sean starred in and directed his first feature film, Greystone Park in 2012. Since then, he has starred in multiple features, including Nightwalk, Union Bound, and Fury of the Fist, and The Golden Fleece, which he also wrote. He has hosted Buzzsaw and Watching the Hawks. He has published a book on the New World Order, as well as a poetry collection. So what I did in the title of our program today is The Best Kept Secret, because Sean also produced a docu-series in 2021 by that title, Best Kept Secret. It's a six part series. I watched the whole thing. It's it's uh, really good. At the end, we'll give you, and it'll be in the show notes, the link so that you can uh, <clears throat> watch that docu-series yourself, but I'll have Sean call it out at the end. So Sean, I'm gonna go relatively quickly through some talking points after I give an introduction because there's so much to cover here and we're just gonna scratch the surface. My hope is that the audience will take the information that we're going to cover and dig into it with some personal research because I think that's what you've got to do if you're going to be deprogrammed. You can't just rely on somebody else's research. And you know, for me, I had already dug into this topic uh, about two months ago, so it didn't surprise me. But your research took it to another level. And you know, once you once you um, see a truth, you can't unsee it. And that's what this will expose. So, Don, I want to introduce the this best kept secret topic by you playing the Derek uh, Prince um, excerpt from a sermon, so that we see who we're up against. So, can you play that now, please? Now, for a brief description of the kingdom of Satan and its headquarters, we turn to Ephesians chapter six which actually is an absolutely key verse on this whole theme. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. For our wrestling match, is not against persons with bodies. Now that phrase is taken from the Living Bible, and I think it's a very good phrase. We are in a wrestling match, but we're wrestling persons who don't have bodies. Well, that immediately causes us to adjust our thinking, because we're not used to the concept of persons without bodies, although there are multitudes of such persons in the universe. Then he says, in the Prince Version, against rulers with various areas and descending orders of authority. So it's a very highly organized kingdom. 
There are rulers in this kingdom, each with a particular area of responsibility. And under each of those rulers, there are sub-rulers who are responsible for sub-areas in that kingdom. Now you might say, well, Satan was very clever to devise such an organization. That's not so. The truth of the matter is that he rebelled against God, being, as most people believe, in, one, in charge of one-third of the creative angels, uh, brought his angels into rebellion against God with him, and were cast out of heaven, and simply set up a rival kingdom, keeping the organizational structure that they had when they were part of God's kingdom. Our wrestling match is not against persons with bodies, but against rulers with various areas and descending orders of authority, against the world dominators of the present darkness. And I deliberately use the word dominate because the Greek word is a very powerful word. And I choose the word dominate because God never dominates anybody. Wherever you encounter domination, it's something satanic. Dog, that's not how God rules people. But Satan's ambition is to dominate the whole world. Do you understand that? Not just some little part of humanity, but through a kingdom of darkness to dominate the whole world. And because his kingdom is a kingdom of darkness, the people who are in that kingdom, for the most part, don't know what they're in. So again, I'm setting this up because we've got to have a baseline before Sean and I dive in. So if we believe what Derek Prince said, it changes everything because the battle is spiritual. You know, we think the battle is against Anthony Fauci or Klaus Schwab, but once we realize it's spiritual, we start looking to God. So then uh, there's a lady by the name of uh, Jesse Zabotar, which you happen to have in your uh, part six of your documentary. And I had listened to her many months ago. She was on with Pastor Dave, and she was a former witch in this spiritual hierarchy that Derek Prince just got done describing. And so I want to play this link from her interview with Pastor Dave, and then we're going to jump in with Sean. Go ahead, Don. A year and a half after that, we moved in, uh, I'll say, with our bad side of the family. Uh, they were Roman Catholic um, on the outside and in, in their cover lives. But under the surface, uh, they really were very high level members of what we call the Luciferian Brotherhood. And so, you know, as we start to look at what we see going on today, um, you know, we see this umbrella religion that so many other, um, it's broken into so many segments to confuse people. Um, but we know it by names like the Illuminati, um, the Deep State, the Cabal. It, it's all the same group, um, even groups like the Masons, the Mormons, the Jesuit Catholics. They all fall under this umbrella religion of the Brotherhood. So I was chosen at a young age to uh, head up a very high position in this system uh, which would have been as a mother of darkness. And um, the mothers of darkness, their job is to ensure that the system, um, that's kind of my overall easiest way to explain the brotherhood is to describe it as a system. Um, 
you know, to ensure that that system kept running. So, you know, what is that system all connected to? Um, at the highest level, you have the mothers of darkness. Underneath them, you have the satanic or the druidic council. Um, that consists of over 300, uh, we call them seats, uh, because you have many people who can sit in one seat and their job is to govern or rule not only the nations, but they rule the United States and the nations by quadrants. And then that rule begins to break down into territories. So each of those seats oversee a quadrant. Um, each of those, uh, then the quadrants fall under the headship of a grand high priest or priestess. And then they oversee the high priest or priestess in the areas in localized regions. And that's where the system begins to break down into departments. Um, there's five main departments that everybody, you can go out into your community and you will see that in every single community, these five departments are vital. Uh, they run and oversee everything. And that, that would be the Masons, the Jesuit Catholics, um, the Mormons, the Satanists and the Kabbalah. So every community you will see those five and their job or the department's job is to um, oversee the system's assets. So who are the assets? That's us, that's children. Um, you know, they decide what positions are needed in the world to continue their goals of their one world government um, you know, if you're not a child chosen um, for a position within the system, they consider you expendable. But they're not just going to throw those children away. Uh, they're going to make a profit and they're going to make the biggest profit they can make off each child. Well, that is really hard for me to watch every time I do. So, Sean, let's jump in. I want you to first tell the audience what motivated you to do the docu-series Best Kept Secret because it's it was it was a lot of work to put that together. So what motivated it? Yeah, no, it's um, it was honestly years in the making because I've been doing interviews on a whole range of subjects from the conspiratorial to the, uh, you know, you name it, the issues of Satanism in this world, the, the paranormal, the supernatural. Um, and I've been doing these uh, interviews on the platform uh, well, called Buzzsaw. It was a program I did for right. YouTube and then for Gaia. So I had this collection of hundreds of great interviews with people. And I was thinking, man, I really would love to utilize these things because they're just sitting there and the, the pandemic had started. It was uh, March of 2020. And it was like, you know, nothing was going on. You're pretty much, you know, we were all quarantined and locked down. So it was a great opportunity to use what I had already been doing vis-a-vis -vis these conversations and trying to tell a story that would be in a documentary format of how we are ruled, how we are controlled. And so there's obviously, as you've shown with the clips, there's the physical domain of control, putting people into debt slavery, putting people into mind control, right? Controlling our media, uh, sometimes literally controlling our minds, but right. overall it's a, it's a control apparatus. And then it gets more and more ethereal and spiritual as you go, as you go through the series. And as you understand that the controllers are not just of the flesh and blood or just of the mind. It is also a spiritual war. So I wanted to take the interviews that I had 
And uh, Robert David Steele came along, who I'd known for some time. He's a former CIA guy, uh, former Marine, um, who has been basically like a, kind of a whistleblower, a very outspoken critic of the U.S. government policy of the deep state. And um, he was a, he was a great character. He basically worked with me on finding the, raising the money and and saying, look, I want you know I want you to do this story because he had. Uh, helped publish these books called Pedophilia and Empire, which is a good series about uh, four or five books now. And um, he's like, I wanted you know to tell a story of the pedophilia and the human trafficking. And I said, that's an aspect of it. I don't want to only focus on that. I want to go bigger, bigger picture to understand the control apparatus um, because it's just too dark for me to focus only on the on the on that the pedophilia and, and human trafficking angle. So that was a part of it. But that became ultimately best kept secret. This docu series, and uh, David Steele ultimately passed away in a very sad situation, similar uh, to what you went through, where he uh, he was sick, he had some bronchial infection, he ended up checking himself into a hospital. They gave him the COVID. They basically said, you know, the PCR test says you have COVID, and they ended up killing him. Wow. Wow. Yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, was the timing of the release then based on uh, his death or because we're, we were supposedly in this COVID agenda or what yeah. was the timing no, based on? No, the timing of the release was always planned. It was always aimed for September of 21. And, uh, and he passed away like literally like days before we put it wow. out there publicly. Right. It's, yeah. 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 Yeah, that time was there was a lot of of people who were caught into that time. Grace passed in October of twenty one, and when I see the stories coming in, I see a bunch of them that were clustered in that few month time period, uh, late fall, winter of uh, twenty one. So we're gonna play a, a clip to get us going, and then I'll have you comment on it. So I've called this clip. This is from your your um, first piece of the first part one of the documentary. And it's it's the deeper state behind the deep state. So this is a short clip. Uh, Don, you'll play that. And then Sean, I would like you to comment. I grew up with that term, conspiracy theory surrounding me. The Oliver Stone, George Bush connection, Oliver Stone. Oh, oh yeah, sure. I mean, uh, he's their spokesman. Yeah, I mean, you think if, if anyone had the information that he's got and had a national podium to shout it from that they'd actually let him do it. No, it's quite clear that he's a disinformation junkie for him. While I doubt my father worked for the CIA, as a Vietnam veteran, he passionately sought to understand how a system could send hundreds of thousands of young men to be sacrificed. Despite the media reassuring us that the President of the United States is the most powerful man in the world, the decision maker, my father saw a deeper state behind the scenes. And it reminded me of the words of Paul to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the archons, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this gives everybody a, a perspective of the quality of this docu-series. It, it was very good. So your comment, Sean. Um, well, I mean, spe specifically, you know, I don't know which, which what do you have well, what I'm, what I'm after is that, you know, this was really kind of the introduction to your whole docu-series. It introduces, there's a deeper state behind the deep state 
And, you know, where does your, even where does your dad fit into that? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting if I look at, um, you know, the history of conspiracy theory. And as we know, conspiracy theory in America is, it goes back to the beginnings of the country. I mean, uh, whether it was the, uh, you know, the talk in Washington and others were talking about the Illuminati uh, at that time of 1776 Illuminati, you know, from Bavaria and uh, whether or not they had actually infiltrated into America in that time period of the, I guess, the 1790s and 1800s, right? Um, this was, you know, this was talked about. There was always concern. Obviously, you had masonry at the, you know, so is a major factor in the creation of America. A lot of the founding fathers were masons, for Freemasons. So, um, secret societies and, and conspiracy are, you know, they're not strange. We're not strangers to them. But in the modern era of conspiracy theory, I think a lot of a lot of it is centered around the Kennedy assassination, uh, because. Uh, you know, again, it was that's that time period when things started to break down in the sense of our systems as we knew it. And, I mean, you could say that, um, you know, there was the Federal Reserve conspiracy, right, to establish that. There was obviously, you know, the the questions around World War One and, and how we'd been manipulated into that war. But a major, major event for the for the American psyche was 63, Kennedy right. being murdered and uh, and the public not understanding what happened, right? I mean, Oswald is said to be the, the shooter and then he's shot down by this other guy, you know, before he can even, uh, you know, speak publicly or go to trial. And so um, you have conspiracy theory really starting from that time period, the CIA simultaneously is co-opting that term and saying, well, we have to attack uh, those that, that, that are questioning the Warren Commission, that are questioning our thesis that it was one lone nut. And so from that time period, you have conspiracy theory going into more of the subculture of America, uh, the, the Birchers on the right, you know, critical of, uh, you know, of the influence of, you know, let's say, communism and socialism and, and that strain that you have on the left. You have the critics of the right wing, uh, let's say, pro-military, you know, fascist fact, the Nazis that are being brought over here from paperclip. So you have like critics from both right. left and right who are, you know, saying there's conspiracy going on. And... Uh, and so, you know, you look at 91 when my father makes JFK, which becomes a seminal Hollywood production, uh, very rare, very unique in, in the sense of, you know, actually being able to pull off a, a major movie that just is all conspiracy theory. So my father is, you know, really brings it to the mainstream in many ways. He, he helped to bring conspiracy theory to the mainstream. And um, and obviously, you know, ever since then, we see this sort of ba battle between uh, that those elements that you can and can't talk about when it comes to conspiracy, right? Because at the end of the day, it's very difficult to know where does the, what is reality? The deep state is the entrenched, you could say the, the entrenched elements within the government and the layered secret elements beneath that even. So the, the president is, for example, given a certain security clearance. He doesn't have the highest level security clearance. That's why it's very laughable. People talk about the president really running the country. The president is literally a CEO of a corporation who's brought in for four years or eight years. He doesn't run the country. You know, he basically is like he's a symbolic representative of the executive branch of power and he can have certain executive orders and things. But the country is fundamentally it's much deeper even than the three branches that you see. There's all kind, you know, people talked about Area 51 and didn't even believe that for so long. Now we pretty much are, now we know it's it's out there, Area 51 exists, but how many other secret 
of secretive underground bases, secretive elements within our structures that are unknown. When people talk about the, the Pentagon, you know, losing uh, uh, multiple trillions of dollars over these years, it's not lost. These are going into black budget areas, projects that are unknown, classified beyond, you know, what people can fathom. When people see spacecraft that they think are alien, I would argue a lot of those spacecraft, maybe not all, but a lot of them are, are very advanced technologies. The same way that if you had seen a stealth bomber in 1975 or 80, you would not have known what that was because it was classified, right? So the point is that we are dealing with a government within the government, as many people have talked about over the decades. And so even when it comes to conspiracy theory and lore, it's, it's never the full truth. It's always you know, fragments of it, you know, it's, it's, that's why the criticism of the, the, you know, the, the Kennedy assassination, it's like both left and right can agree that there's a conspiracy, there was a conspiracy to kill him, but we can't agree perfectly on who did it or the motivation, right? Uh, even who, you know, even in the, even in the, in the plaza itself, you know, was the shooter in the gutter? Was he the driver? Was he behind the, behind right. the null? It's, it's so difficult to understand. And that's kind of how this thing works is that it wants us to be baffled by the nature yeah. of power, right? It wants us to yeah. not understand the thing with 9-11, you know, how do they take down these three buildings, right? And, and with these two planes, it's all a magic show and it's all designed to keep you guessing and keep you kind of like, you know, pointing figures. Well, if, if you don't agree with me, you must be controlled opposition. It wants us to be at odds with each other. That's how it rules. Yeah, that was a fantastic and very complete answer. Thank you for that. We're going to uh, drill down the, pedophilia and child trafficking, uh, because I think it's it's critical that people understand it. This this was a concept to me, so I knew it was happening. But since Grace's murder, I dove into this because I think it is it, it is um, it's one of the most evil things that that I've seen. So, Don, can you play the Franklin conspiracy uh, video to introduce this topic? Organized pedophilia and child abuse. Uh, I mean, this is this is a no-brainer if you talk to law enforcement. In 1989, I was contacted by a gentleman by the name of Ed Weaver, a wonderful Christian man in Lincoln, Nebraska. But he said, we have a real problem here in Nebraska. One of the grimmest and most disturbing examples of heinous crimes, institutional corruption and abuse of political power is said to have occurred back in the mid, late, mid to late 1980s in the heartland of America. And it is known as the Franklin Conspiracy or the Franklin Cover-Up. The conspiracy involved a child pedophilia ring allegedly involving prominent politicians and business leaders in the Omaha, Nebraska area with ties leading all the way to some of the most powerful circles in Washington, D.C. So ultimately what happened with the Franklin scandal is the Nebraska Senate found out about Lawrence E. King, who was one of the pimps in this pedophile network, and started to dig into this and investigate it. And what happened was the state and both the federal government just came after the senators really, really hard. I was very disappointed with the way uh, the FBI and law enforcement treated the victims. They, in fact, uh, turned them into the offenders, so to speak. Instead of taking the evidence that was delivered to them by the victims, uh, they seem to bear down and try to get the victims to change their story. So, Sean, when I saw this, my first reaction was, um, 
how did they possibly cover this up? You know, I was, you know, I was alive and well during that time period, but never heard of any of this. So, um, you know, this gives you insight as to how they do cover things up. But I mean, you're smarter than me. How did they cover it up? How do they do that? Do we lose Sean? Sorry, lose? I, had um, I just said no. that that particular story with the the Franklin cover up, the Franklin scandal, both both the both those titles of books that were written that I read uh, when I was in college, in the early two thousands. So you're talking the eighties when obviously the pre internet. You're um, at a time when it's easier to control the mainstream media. Um, not to say that mainstream media isn't controlled now, but it was the main source of information. Right. So before internet, you know, you just, unless you had the newsletters and there were newsletters and there were people that were talking about these things, um, you know, with newsletters and kind of that kind of thing. But unless you were in the know, unless you were part of, unless you were again, like a Bircher or someone or with L Lyndon LaRouche or something, like you weren't really aware of conspiracies. You didn't talk about conspiracies for the most part. So something like Franklin, where there was a raid and the Franklin uh, credit union was, Shut, shut down. King Lawrence E. King uh, did go to prison, but uh, he, the the pedophilia aspect was very much hushed up, and it was done in multiple ways. Uh, as Nick Bryant talks about, the the kids essentially were targeted. Uh, some of them went to prison. Uh, basically, the, you know, they basically said the kids, you know, had perjured or whatever, so they actually sent the kids to prison. And um, and then there was also the murder of the set of the investigator, as we talk about in, this, in the series, the, the lead investigator for the state Senate um, that was trying to investigate, you know, the pedophilia charges, his plane right. dissolved, disintegrated in the sky right. and he killed with his son. So that was basically sent a big message, right? <laughs> Obviously not just the, the investigation, the evidence that he was carrying with him, but like that was the message to anyone else. So the guy that really followed up was um, uh, the camp. Uh, John DeCamp, who wrote the book, The Franklin Cover-Up, that was later in like the late 90s, he wrote it. And he was a former uh, state senator, I believe. And he also was very interesting because he'd been uh, in Vietnam. He was very close to William Colby, the former CIA director. And Colby was like a mentor to him. And he just said, look, don't go there because these people will kill you. And Colby ultimately did die in very mysterious circumstances himself. Um, so you know, again, it's like you're dealing with people that will, will easily murder. I mean, if they if they can traffic and, and murder children, you know, they, they can do the same right. to grown up adults who are coming after them, um, asking too many questions. So, yeah, that's how these things are done. It's like it's a mixture of it's intimidation, it's murder, it's compromising people, it's covering up through the media. And even you saw clips from that documentary that we used. That documentary was supposed to air, I think it was on Nat Geo or, or uh, one of those channels, maybe it wasn't that geo maybe it was like a pbs or uh i'm blanking on which which one but someone was going to air it it was called conspiracy of silence the that that uh network canceled the documentary so it's now available on youtube thankfully people have stored it online but the media again shut down the story so did you when you you know, obviously you crossed into that territory putting this together. Did you have any of those thoughts go through your head that, why well, I better not do this? Any fear thoughts or did you just say, you know, I've got to do this? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been dealing with, you know, again, I've been in this realm of interviewing people on topics that are controversial for, for 
over a decade. And what I find is is goes back to uh, something I I was told. I think John Rappaport talked about it. John Rappaport's a good uh, author in this realm of conspiracy, and and uh, he basically at one point was interviewing a spin doctor in this in this really interesting book he wrote. And spin doctors are the guys who kind of go to the the press, right? They go to the media, and they give they basically spin the stories, right, for the for the intelligence agencies or they know who to hire. So for example, when people say, well, how can the media be corrupt? Well, the media is bought, but what they'll do is they'll, they have their go-to doctors. We saw it through the pandemic, right? So you've got, you know, your Collins, or your Burks or whatever, your Fauci, and that's your go-to person. And even before the pandemic, it was the same. You had your go-to right. doctor that would be the spokesperson. And that person is completely bought and their agenda is already scripted. So then the media tells you, well, the, the, the doctors are basically, you know, this is what the doctors say. This is what the scientists say. And then they have their go-to people. So the spin doctor was explaining to to uh, Rappaport, he said, look, these guys don't usually kill you if you're covering a story. Right. What they what they unless it's unless you're interfering with an active operation, if you're stumbling as an investigator, let's say, or a journalist and you're stumbling onto an active operation. Right. And you have evidence of something that's active that people could actually go to jail for, then your life is in danger. But if you're just observing something, you're, you know, especially things like this, 20 years after the fact, you know, you're doing a documentary, you're telling a story. They don't really care because, again, it's the nature of power. What can I do? Can, do I have evidence that could put someone into jail? No. So I'm not a threat to them. Right. Okay. Unless you're really in a, about, you know, unless you have something that could actually put someone in jail or actually like blow some, blow, you know, and again, like, you know, blow the whistle in a big way. You're not necessarily a threat to the power structure. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for explaining that. What I want to do is show. So that was that conspiracy, which you know I hate that term because we get labeled with that. But you know that that situation happened in the '80s. So now I want to fast forward to just a couple months ago when the Balenciaga scandal broke, and Scott Kesterson makes a comment on it, and I, we're going to play that that audio clip. But I just want to share that what what happens now is there professionals at desensitizing us to what's going on and pre-programming at the same time and scott kesterson really i think does a good job explaining that in this short audio so go ahead and play that don and you're starting to see that this thing wasn't an accident at all none of this was an accident and it's all all of this is pre-programming and preconditioning a term you need to become familiar with is what's called SRA. It's an acronym for Satanic Ritual Abuse, SRA. And it is very important to understand that this is a very common thing. So Scott goes on and explains that Balenciaga, which in, he said it in Latin, it means ball is king. Uh, so, I mean, that's just another part of the pre-programming. And it, there was a picture that that helped describe this event that I'd like you to just bring up, Don, because it points out all of the, um, the pre-programming and positioning that they do. So this is one of the Balenciaga um, uh, advertisements that they put out and what the circle items are. So these are all being the show notes are all uh, satanic situations that that are part of that process 
so I'd like your comment, Sean, about how they're doing that. In today's environment, it seems like that is is happening all over the place, this pre-programming and desensitizing us. Did I lose you, Sean? Sorry. Um, I was just saying that uh, desensitization is a process that takes decades. And, you know, it's like you you just have to think in your own lifetime, right? How do you think that the World War II generation would have been okay with uh, pornographic imagery and children's books and drag queens dancing half naked for for for, you know, elementary school kids, right? Yeah, absolutely not. It's, it's, a, it's been a process, right? It's been a process. Right. And even, even then, even then, it's difficult for the American population, the majority, which does, I think that silent majority, Nixon was right. I think the silent majority is conservative and just wants to, you know, it wants to be left alone and it's more, um, how do you say, uh, traditional in, in many ways. I think that still exists, but it's been a gradual process of, transitioning us as a culture to accept uh, violence, uh, pornography, um, and, you know, and, and again, more like, a, how do you say, uh, more lackadaisical values, family values, things like this, right? Um, it's been a process because you think about the nature of even film. And there was a shift by Vietnam era that the media intentionally started showing the war as it was right during world war ii it was all propaganda you couldn't you weren't showing half you know half blown up body parts and you know dead dead bodies and, until after the war you know you'd show the victims sure you'd show the victims of the nazis you know this is the these are the holocaust victims but you didn't show you know american soldiers with their arms blown off or their legs blown off right or dying on the battlefield you didn't show that that was that would have so by, by Vietnam, you see a shift in consciousness. All of a sudden, we're going to show the dead bodies. We're going to show the horrors of war, right? Turn people off and simultaneously, 67, 68, all of a sudden, what happens? You start to normalize films with murder and blood and gore and everything that previously was much more tame, right, in the nature of Hollywood. Same with sex. It was like sex all of a sudden was being shown full you know full throttle on screen it was Fellini's satiricon essentially right it was like it was more it was his eyes wide uh clockwork orange it was like rape and and very very brutal uh sexuality all this was shown explicitly see the transition by the 70s and and then it was gradually brought down to the youth level the youth as you know as time goes on you know went from skinamax when i was a kid right which would be like midnight you know beyond uh soft porn would be on tv to where we are now, where pretty much every streaming platform has TV shows that are more explicit than what Skinamax was, or about as explicit yeah. what Skinamax was. And simultaneously, obviously, pornography is very easily accessible. Um, people are, you know, kids are being sort of, they're being normalized, I would say, since the 90s, especially. Britney Spears, that kind of stuff, you know, to sexualize the youth, sexualize the teenagers. Now it's normalized for kids to, you know, have to, to feel like pressure to send, you know, whatever uh, sexual imagery to each other to speak in that way. I saw a show recently, Euphoria, was it called Euphoria or something? It was so awful. It was uh, HBO normalizing 
teens, basically 14, 15, 16, you know, losing their virginity. And if they were virgins, it was like shamed, you know, they were like, they were mocked for. So you see this whole process of shifting the consciousness of the culture. And that's what, you know, what they're getting at. So that when you can then go and look at the music that, you know, again, it wasn't like the, the, the generation obviously has been gradual and, you know, there's, there's aspects of it that we laugh and we're like, oh, it's, you know, it seems tame in comparison to when you have stuff like a couple of years ago, WAP, W-A-P, which I don't even want to say what it stands for, was the, the big song at the Grammys. And it's like, you're normalizing this for, for children because that's the kind of music that that's, they're obviously being exposed to. It's more explicit. It's, you know, it's, it's more crude. It's, it's lacking heart. It's lacking depth. So this has been a gradual process and same with, you know, whatever it was, uh, the guy at the Grammys recently was, you know, considers himself, I don't know, non-binary or, or whatever. And he's dressed in like a woman and he's, you know, playing Satan and you know, everyone's worshiping him. It's, it's very overt, but again, it's been a gradual process of getting people there, getting, getting to the place where parents are so out of touch with their own kids. They don't know what, how to, how to relate to their kids, how to mentor and, and, and raise their kids. So in a sense, the state has taken over by not the state, presumably, but the, me the media as a complex of the state, essentially taken over that grooming education process and has, I would say, you know, essentially degraded the culture. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right on, you know, the. Uh, the thing I want to drill down next, because, you know, there's people watching that have kids and, you know, this this missing children, the, you know, what's really going on. And one of the reports I read shared that there's approximately 200,000 children gone missing in the United States annually. When I shared that with my wife, she said, well, how come we don't hear about it? And uh, it's it's interesting, you know, when you dive into this, it gets real deep. But I want to give a couple of clips here and then have you comment because it really exposes. So you think about, well, you know, the missing children on milk cartons. That's good, right? And uh, uh, Jesse Zabotar explains it. And we'll we'll listen to that one first. And then we're going to talk about or not talk about, but we'll listen to a second one. So we'll just take a short break in between Don, I'll call for the second one then too about organ harvesting of children. So go ahead and play the first one, Don. We wanna protect children, we wanna keep them safe, but we have a system that is set on using children only as assets for their gain and for their purposes. And so, you know, they, as people started to notice, you know, hey, what's going on in my community? All of a sudden, I have all these kids from my community missing. They would make up these programs that, you know, were under the guise of helping um, communities and children. But really, they weren't focused on helping, you know. So things like the Clinton Foundation were begun, things like Amber Alert, uh, even the milk carton faces on, or the faces of children on milk cartons, uh, the faces of children up on Walmart uh, that say, you know, they're missing and, and tells you what they should look like, um, you know, and if you see them, who you contact. Um, this type of system did not free or help, you know, 
many children. What it did was it enabled the system to keep track of the children, especially those that tried to run or get out of those programs. And then what I want to do next is talk about, okay, what about using children for or organ harvesting? Because this is, when I when I learned of this one, this is from, uh, Tori says from February 15th. This was about a two hour um, podcast she did. And um, this one really, this was hard for me to, to listen to because it, it set up something that is so nefarious. She called it, uh, humans as a retail commodity. And this link will be in the show notes. So, Don, can you bring up that link right now? Police are offering a 100,000 renminbi reward for information leading to the arrest of the suspect. With massive demand for organs in China and only limited supply, a thriving illegal organ trade has developed. Children's organs fetch a higher price, one organ trader told Chinese media in 2010. Most people think the younger the donor is, the better the quality of organs. Can you comment about the you know, the 200,000 children abducted annually in the United States. And then what is, what is this organ harvesting all about? Oh, well, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the answers on these things. Um, because I think that there's different layers and different levels to, you know, again, it's like talking about the, you know, there's, there's dark, there's gangsterism, there's, there's money. And then there's the satanic. Right. And I think there's just layers. Right. right. Sometimes they overlap, you know, but um, we talk about, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids that go missing and it's glo it's it's millions when you think about globally. Right. Uh, the, the purpose is many fold. Uh, in fact, there's, there does seem to be more awareness. I mean, occasionally I'll see campaigns even sponsored by the NFL with players talking about, you know, human trafficking is a real issue. And they talk about, obviously, the amount of human trafficking that goes on just around the Super Bowl, for example, every year. There's prostitution uh, uh, galore. I mean, it's I don't even know the numbers, but it's huge amounts of trafficking that goes on around the Super Bowl. And, you know, again, when you talk about human trafficking, it's not it's not always underage. Obviously, it's 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 men and women. And, um, and so a lot of it has to do with sex, um, the trafficking of children, partly for, for sexual purposes. Um, this Epstein was a great example. Um, and it'd be Kachina, Sar Kachina Sarnoff who wrote her book, uh, trafficking about Epstein. Um, she, she's in docu series and she talks, she focuses on one young girl from Mexico who was trafficked, brought into the States and ultimately ended up pleasuring uh, Jeffrey Epstein, but he was one of her many clients that she was basically sold to, uh, you know, when she was exploited as a child. So again, there's different, there's different degrees. Then you get the things like satanic rituals, right? Where they're literally trafficking kids to be part of these cult, uh, you know, rituals and, and uh, they're sometimes are murdered in the process. Um, you know, you mentioned the organ harvesting and, you know, again, it's like, you, you know, you sit there and you go, well, we know this is going on. We know, we know countries like China are doing it right. They're, they're literally, you know, taking organs from you know, uh, people they consider like, I guess, you know, less than, you know, less than the, the Han Chinese. Um, they, that's why the Uyghur, the Uyghur, the Uyghurs are, are oftentimes referred to, for example, for their repression, but also the Tibetans have been oppressed by the Chinese and others. And so it's like, well, we know these things go on, but how much of this human, this organ harvesting, 
you know, is, is just for rich people. Because you think about it, like, right. there aren't that, you know, there aren't that many people that are so well off, they can afford to trafficking human body parts. So is there something that's going on at a, a different level, which starts to get you to questions around um, uh, underground, you know, again, like underground bases and uh, uh, science that basically is like, you know, far beyond what the Nazis were doing, right? With experimentation on right. the human body parts and right. human beings, right? Um, the issue of, uh, you know, even demonic entities that, that feed on human blood, for example. Uh, there is a whole, you know, again, it just gets into this other realm entirely because it's so hard to fathom. Man, how much evil is there in this world that's that's trafficking in all these children. Yep, that's that's uh, that's right on. I mean, it's it's um, you know some of these you have to choose. You know, because now the rabbit holes just keep coming fast and furious. Now that I'm starting to get woken up, you know, you got to choose because you know there's just so much. You know, that's why I really liked your docu series, and you know, I I want to just have people think about this. So you know. We can suspect there are databases for DNA, blood typing, info, and everything that's been collected from the medical system through the years and now is on steroids. Uh, so then, you know, in the concept of what was exposed during World War II, if you're an undesirable for whatever reason, you can get marked as a contribution to the greater good of others through a database. But what about being unvaccinated for the greater good. So, you know, the unvaccinated, which includes me, uh, were put in, in this group and scoffed at. But what if they're really just setting up a dialectic? Um, so then we're easily identified as the most valuable, just the yeah. opposite of the propaganda narrative. Um, oh, that's for sure. That's clear. I mean, our blood is going to be <laughs> the pure blood, right. you know? is it's going to be very valuable as well as sperm um but the, the it's, it's an interesting point you're bringing up which is to say that is the agenda a lot of the agenda for this you know for this vaccination program it's not a vaccination let's say the, the mrna right. technology, the technology so it's very much part of this this transhuman agenda which we talk about the docuseries which is essentially moving humans into an increasing, uh, increasingly me mechanistic way of being in the world and in relationship to machinery. How can you basically uh, bring the, the computer revolution into the human body and make the body more malleable and controllable? And you mean, you know, Juval Harari, who's a you know, famous right. author, advisor to the, to the WEF and to Schwab. I mean, he talks about this stuff, being able to control the human at the biochemical level. So this has been talked about for decades. Just going back to the 50s, even the cybernetics movement, we, we talked about in the docuseries, you know, initially trying to figure out like, okay, how can the human body be compared to a computer? How can the human brain be, you know, analyzed like a computer? So they've been working on this stuff for decades. And right. I think that this is now moving well forward with the, 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 the mRNA technology, which they're putting now into all the shots, right? It's not right. just COVID. They're going to be putting it to the flu shots and into you know, you name it, cancer shots, or I've heard about Alzheimer's shots. I mean, all kinds right. of things they're going to be pushing on people to say, you know, get the mRNA stuff and basically put the technology into your body. And ultimately you will, you know, those that choose to do so will then become part of this transhuman uh, reality. Whereas those yeah. of us, the organic will have a different experience of reality. 
Oh, that's right on. And the narrative, you see the narrative switching right in front of our, our noses, right? They're, the, the doctors, the supposed good doctors are admitting that, you know, this thing is a bioweapon, but, you know, the other vaccines are still good. You know, so, you know, they're setting this up for the next the next level. It's it's so plain right now. And Don, I'm just going to have you bring in that clip um, that shows that this is already happening. I mean, the people in the know who are, you know, the puppets, the major puppet players in this already realize that even just to fly to Davos, they need unvaccinated pilots. So Don, just bring up that clip so people can see what we're talking about is reality. So uh, I just have one final question that I'm going to have your comment and then I'll go to, to close. So, you know, the question I have is, is COVID just another distraction to cover up what's really happening? Remembering Satan is the ultimate master of distraction. So, Sean, your comment, your final word. And then when I after I close, I'll come back and ask you where the listeners can find your documentary, your docuseries. Sure. So I think in a sense, uh, COVID was, it was both. It was not, it was not fully a distraction because it was a very real bio bio war that's being conducted, but it was a distraction from the 5G rollout. So what I was tracking, and I think Bobby Kennedy is only one of the few public figures that was really talking about this was the 5G rolling out in major, basically across the world. Wuhan was actually the first epicenter of, of, uh, major 5G right before right before the outbreak of COVID. And likewise, uh, it was being brought to New York City um, and Los Angeles uh, all during the lockdowns. They were uh, hard at work laying the track for the 5G rollout, which is to say 5G. Uh, there's a great documentary Sasha Stone did called 5G Apocalypse. It gets into a lot of the nitty gritty of how this certain frequency uh, of, of, of Wi-Fi is damaging to self for human bodies, cell to cell communication. Some people even argue that uh, some of the, I guess, hypoxia and the sort of the, uh, the, the, the sensation that people thought they had COVID was actually from 5G because it was affecting their ability to breathe. But again, it was like this rollout was taking place and is still taking place, you know, very much in front of our eyes, but we're, we've been so fixated on the, the COVID bioweapon, which I believe that that to be the, the spike protein, right? That right. does seem to have, you know, even, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, uh, the famous Geller, Yuri Geller talked about this, that the COVID spike protein looks like it's full of antennas because of the, the spikes are like little antennas. And he was saying, well, you could, you know, because the, sophi the sophistication of technology is so advanced, people don't understand how, how advanced, you know, our deep state is and our, you know, the real sciences, you know, you could potentially maneuver this spike protein within the human body or affect the human body because it's full of, you know, these antennas to basically you could program it once it's, once it's inside the body. So again, it's like the idea of 5g being a part of this transhuman agenda to influence at the frequency level, right? The human being, um, people think this is far fetched. Microwave warfare has been talked about for decades. The military, the police forces, they all use these things for, you know, for crowd control purposes, right? When they want to control crowds, they use microwaves and, and high frequency things. And so these are not far-fetched ideas. This is very understood. But how advanced it is, I think, is, is difficult to fathom. It's, it, would be, it would seem sci-fi. 
So I think that's really what's going on is you're talking about a frequency warfare and the best way to affect the frequency of a human being is to actually be able to get into that body using, you know, the Trojan horse, right? Which would be in this case, let's say the spike protein from the, the COVID, but especially from the shots, because that's even the most potent way of getting it into the bloodstream and then lodging it into the various glands. Yeah. And, um, and then effect, you know, effectively, yeah, altering the, the DNA forever. Yeah, I heard Todd Callender talk on that exact topic. And, you know, it's, it's one of those podcasts you listen to and it's like, oh, I mean, this is, it, it is deep. Uh, so thank you for that comment. So I'm going to, I'm going to uh, wrap up here and then I'll come back to you, Sean, to ask where people can listen to your docu-series. So, you know, we're going to start, um, with the wrap up where we began. So I'll just tell you, if you still think Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy, uh, you got a lot of digging to do. And I hope today gets you in that mindset that you are responsible for digging. Remember the purpose of exposing evil is to shine light on it, God's light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world and has already defeated Satan. This type of thing we're talking about should not make you fearful in that if you have that perspective. And I'm only a vessel shining light on evil. So you have an opportunity to be prepared. What does that look like? Uh, evil has to be exposed in Satan's plan so he can reinvent himself as an angel of light, which is the most important area of deprogramming necessary. So you're not duped by the safety and security agenda that is to come. As I've shared in my paper on the satanic agenda, only God can protect us against the spiritual warfare. Our responsibility is to repent and stop looking to man for solutions. There are always two mistakes for followers of Jesus that they can make. Number one is failure to prepare. And number two is relying on your preparations. We rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Don, I'm going to have you bring up. So one of the, we introduced with Elvis, we're going to close with Elvis. So this song Grace and I were listening to on this, the Sirius station, the Elvis channel, channel 75. And we were riding in the vehicle one day and this came on and uh, it became one of our favorites together. So Don, if you can play this Elvis song to close us up, I'd appreciate it. When I think of how he came so far from glory Came to dwell among the lowly such as I To suffer shame and such disgrace On Mount Calvary then I ask myself this question Who am I? Who am I the king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray not my will dying, Lord. The answer I 
may never know why he ever loved me so. That to an old rugged cross he'd go. For who am I? When I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave you never. If you'll be true, I'll give to you life forever. Oh, I wonder what I could have done to deserve God's only son to fight my battles until they're won. For who am I? The king would bleed and die for. Who am I that he would pray? Not my will, thy Lord. The answer I may never know. Why he ever loved me so? To an old rugged cross, he'd go. For who am I? That to an old rugged cross, he'd go. For who am I? Uh, Sean, thanks a lot for coming on today. Where can people find you, your docu-series, et cetera? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be here and, and to speak with you. Um, uh, my, I think my website's the best kind of go-to for all my content, um, be it my docu-series, my books, uh, my other documentaries, my, my workshops, uh, even to contact me directly, uh, seanstone.info, as you see on the screen here. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, that's got the links to all you need for my world. Well, thanks a lot, Sean. It was really, it was really a gift to have you on. I was looking forward to it very much. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolutely good to see you, Scott. Okay, bye. Please stand by for further details. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program.